You're listening to a podcast of New Covenant Church. Join us Sundays at 10.30 a.m. in Pompano. We're going we're gonna to be in Genesis 28 today, and uh, our dear brother, Cody, who served on staff here for a year and a half. You can come on up here since we're... Um, he, he was on staff here with us for a while. He served as our youth director uh, so faithfully for the last couple of years, and um, he's preached for us here before, and he's home to visit. He's gone on to bigger and better things in this world um, to uh, just step into some business opportunities in, um, in Georgia, and so he's down for a few days, and so we just thought it'd be great for him to share the word with you. And I'm going to pray for you, brother. I'm so glad to see your face and to have you here. And then you can, you can take it away. Not that you can't. Well, well, Lord, we thank you for our friend, our brother, our, uh, a son of this house, God, uh, Cody. Thank you for his life, for his heart for you. Thank you that he just um, is just such a blessing to everyone he comes in contact with. And I know that he will continue to uh, just minister wherever he is, whether it's in business or whether it's in vocational church ministry. We are just grateful for his life and for his heart for you. And I pray that the word he brings today would be full of life. You give him boldness. I pray that you give him a sense of confidence, unlike he's had before, to proclaim your truth and to feed us your word, God. We love him. We thank you for him. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. A generous um, thing Adam said was going into business. Um, that's his fancy way of saying rolling pizza dough and putting pizza dough in an oven and then selling it to customers, which is what I do now, um, running a pizza company, uh, which is really, really fun. But before we even begin, I just want to communicate to you all how wonderful it is for me to be back here. Um, what a gift this church has been to me. Yeah. Um, New Covenant was a family for me when I needed a family more than anything. So to be back and be able to see you guys and hug you guys and laugh with you guys is one of the greatest gifts I can possibly have. And <laughs> you love you too. <laughs> and my goal today is the same goal as usual. Um, my intentions are to share with you something that has made me love God more in the hopes that it will make you love God more as well. That is my goal. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the life of Jacob. And this is a unique sermon for me because I didn't come across this with the intention of writing a sermon for it. I read a little excerpt from a book by Tim Keller, which I'm going to share with you later today. Um, and I read that and I was like, whoa, this, this aspect of Jacob's life is so powerful. It encouraged me to like, I wanted to learn more. So I dived in and did some research and study on it. And then I was like, oh, we got a sermon here. So that is how this one came about, which is a little bit um, out of order, but, but it works well. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at his life, and we see the whole life of Jacob in the book of Genesis. We see the whole life of Jacob, which is a unique situation where we get to see an individual in his youth, in his middle age, and then in his later years. So we're going to start at the beginning of his life. And we're going to focus there more, and then we're going to touch on the end there as well. And what we see here is God engaging with Jacob 
for the entirety of his life. God is engaging with Jacob for the entirety of his life. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to identify and, and see that Jacob has a conversion experience. Then we're going to look at Jacob is constantly in his life filling this God-sized hole in his heart with human security. But then the third point we're going to look at is God is shepherding Jacob, and God is our shepherd as well. So I'm going to read Genesis 28, 10 through 22, and then this is the text we'll be working for, and then we'll dive in. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on earth, and on top, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring." Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread above, uh, abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you, your offspring, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you, and, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke in his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid, and he said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me, in the way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, that I may come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Will you pray with me very quickly? Father, thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for the opportunity that we have here at New Covenant. As I speak this morning, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill me up. I pray that no word that I have would be my own, but would be you speaking and operating through me. Any nerves that I have, I pray that you would come, and I pray that you would sit in this room with us. We love you, and we pray this in your son's name. Amen. All right, let's begin. So let's just jump into this, this conversion experience that Jacob has. Um, it's very clear that we can see it in this text I just read to you. And the beautiful thing is that God is speaking to us in finality. God is speaking to us in finality through his word. And despite the time, the culture, and the tradition of when the Bible was written and what was going on then, God is still speaking to us. The same God, the same God is working out the same salvation for the same humanity in the same way. The same God is working out the same salvation for the same humanity in the same way. And we see this working out in Jacob's life. We see God working out his salvation already. See, in this, at this point, Jacob has 
deceived his brother twice. And we're going to look at both of these um, times here in a minute. He's deceived both of his brother, his brother twice. He's tricked his father and his mother, and he has fled town. He is on the run, fleeing for his life, fleeing for his homeland, and going to find somewhere else to be. And we see God working out his salvation here because what Jacob has is a transformative encounter with God that changes the trajectory of his life and, frankly, of human history. So I'm going to read this, this section again, just this one couple, these couple verses here. It says, Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in the way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. This statement is so unique because it is Jacob's conversion. The Lord will be my God. He says it and he means it. And we can see this. If you read the first part of Jacob's life, the few chapters before this in Genesis, the guy does not make any mention of God whatsoever. He never mentions God. He does not live a life that reflects somebody who believes in God um, at all. In fact, the only time he does mention God the only time he does mention God in his life is when he's trying to deceive his father. He uses God as a trick for his own ambition. But after this, after this, Jacob barely opens his mouth. He barely opens his mouth without talking about God. Without mentioning what God has done for him, without mentioning what God is doing, and without mentioning what God will do. He does not stop talking about it. Whether he's making great decisions or he's making poor decisions, God is constantly being mentioned, and there is a constant presence of God in his life. And why is this? Because God transformed his heart. In that moment, in that dream, when he woke up and knew that he had just had an encounter with God that was so powerful and so unique that he would say, the Lord will be my God and mean it, his heart was transformed and he was changed. And everything after that in his life was impacted by that understanding. So here's what happened in Jacob's life. He moved, he moved from a nominal belief in God. He moved from a nominal belief in God based on his family tradition, nominal belief in God based on his family tradition, to a unique, personal, dynamic relationship with God. Which means he moved from just kind of believing God existed because his family had done that for generations before, to owning and saying, I believe, I have a true faith in this, and I have a relationship with God, and this is my God, and it's going to impact how I live. He made that change from a nominal belief to a true relationship. And this is an incredible, essential part of our faith. We all need to have this point in our lives. We all need to have this point in our lives where we decide, you know, I don't just believe this because my family believed this. I don't just believe this because I've been kind of coming to church and been a little bit involved and it kind of makes sense because everybody around me is doing it. It has to come to this point where we say, this is mine. I have a relationship with God who loves me, who has saved me, and has a purposeful life for me. It's essential. No matter how old you are, it doesn't matter if you're my age, if you're younger, um, if you're older, there comes that point, whether you grew up in the church or if you are new to the faith, that step 
And what happens if we simply have this nominal belief in God like, like Jacob did before this conversion experience? When we live like that, it's just based on family tradition and loose belief. It doesn't change you. It doesn't change the way you live. It doesn't impact your life. It doesn't help you impact others in this way. And it doesn't drive you. In fact, I believe that it can be a simple social obligation if our faith is just a nominal belief in God. It's just a social obligation. We're showing up. We're going through the motions to please our family, to please the people around us, to to exist in our environment. And when we do that, we might even be like Jacob in this way. Just like he deceived his father using the name of God, we might even use this nominal belief in God to further our own personal schemes. It's dangerous, and it can happen easily. When we don't have that dynamic personal relationship with God, we are like Jacob before his conversion. There's no mention of God in our life. There's no fruit. There's no clear existence. There's no result from our living. It's just social obligation. But when we have this personal dynamic relationship with God, this faith in God that has moved beyond just belief, it changes you. It changes us. It impacts the way we live. It transforms us because we, frankly, are different people than we were before. That's what the presence of God does to us. It impacts the way we live. And when, when the gospel, when a relationship with God impacts the way we live, it impacts other people around us as well. It impacts other people around us as well, and it drives us. And it drives us because when this happens, when we come into that personal relationship with God, we go beyond ourselves in the sense that we come into an understanding that our lives are now in the hands of an infinite creator who is so much bigger than ourselves that we can no longer exist on our own but are dependent on something else, on someone else, and that is that relationship with God. It makes us like Jacob after his conversion. There becomes a visible, constant presence in our lives when we make that step. And Amy is a great example of this. Um, fun fact about me and Amy, I was her sixth grade history teacher. Um, and I have known her for well over three years now. And watching her grow as one of my students at teaching middle school, but also as a member of our youth group here, there is a visible transformation in her, in her life, a visible presence of who God is. And it has impacted her, it has changed her, and, and driven her. And I'm so proud of you, by the way. Um, and, yeah. and if you know me and know my story at all, I grew up in the church as well. I grew up in the church since I was a child. But still, I had this real encounter and conversion experience myself. Because when I was probably 21, um, I, I wanted to, I had moved away from home. I was at college. I wanted to throw my faith up against its greatest adversaries and test it and see how it came out. So I was reading a lot of Richard Dawkins, uh, Karl's, Karl Marx, Frederick Nietzsche, Sigmund Freud, all these guys, and I had a tough go of it. I was really trying to figure this out, and I was reading all these guys, and I remember laying in my bed one night, being 21 years old, and 
saying, God, I believe you exist, but I don't want to be a Christian anymore. And I rolled over, and I went to sleep, and I wasn't a Christian anymore. And it got better after that, I promise. <laughs> um, I, this happened because I looked at the pain, the suffering, and the evil in the world around us, and I looked at that, and I said, God, you were responsible for that. You are responsible for that. This is your fault, and how can I love you when you let this go on? My 21-year-old self said. Then, I don't know if it was weeks later or months later, as I was just still praying and counseling with friends and professors and, and all this, I, I came to the conclusion and the realization through the power of the Holy Spirit that God was not the cause of this. God was the only answer to this. And that was my conversion experience. That was my big step to looking after that. I was like, this, I can't go back. I know I had that conversion experience where I said, you are my God. I'll follow you. And once we have that conversion experience in our life, once we have that conversion experience in our life, I, we definitely do not live a perfect life thereafter. I'm sure you all know that. I know I did have not lived a perfect life since that experience. Um, and I am a betting man, and I bet that you all have not lived a perfect life since you had that, that experience, um, that encounter with God. And this is crystal clear in Jacob's life because what he is doing through the entirety of his life is trying to fill this God-sized hole in his heart with human securities. He is trying to fill this God-sized hole in his heart with human securities. He does it with wealth and finances. He tries to build those up to guard himself, to have peace, to have comfort, to have satisfaction, to have security. With his wealth and finances, he does it with his wives. She has many. Um, and he does it even with a love for his children. And that's just a short list of the way J the times Jacob does this. And twice, twice in his early years, in his younger years, he tries to fill this God-sized hole in his heart by his own works and his own doings. So I'm going to read a um, section here for us now, but I'm going to give you a little context to it before I jump in. Um, Jacob has an older brother, Esau. He's an older brother, Esau, and Esau was the firstborn son, technically, to Isaac. Jacob was the secondborn. Okay, so let me read this interaction that they have. This is, um, you can follow along with me, or we'll have it up on the screen, I think. Genesis 25, 29 through 34. Once, when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. And Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. All right, let me give you a little bit, give me a second to give you just some cultural context to this. This is a real insecurity that Jacob has here, by the way, um, because in the ancient Near East, the birthright made you the head of the household. And all this inheritance that would be passed down from father to son, um, half of that would have gone to the oldest brother. 
And then that second half, if there were more um, siblings, more sons, would have been divided up and split up amongst those other sons. So Jacob was not the oldest son. He was not the one who would have gotten that first half. It's a real insecurity that he would have gotten less, that he would have worked harder on his own. He would not have been gifted that. The problem here is in dealing with that insecurity, in dealing with that insecurity, the very first thing we see Jacob do is turn to deception, is turn to deceiving his brother. It's crazy. It's hard to imagine, for me at least, doing that um, to a family member or a brother. But he does something again not too much later. Not too much later. Now we're going to read from um, Genesis 27, 22 through 27. We should have it up on the screen here. Um, There was another aspect to this father and son relationship, and it was called the blessing. It was called the blessing. Now, if the... uh, if the inheritance or the birthright provided the uh, uh, like financial security, the blessing essentially was the ambition that a son might have from his father. See, it was a, essentially a last will and testament from a father to a son in a way of revealing God's will in a way to the son. This would have gone to the firstborn, so this again would have gone to Esau. So Esau comes in to um, receive this blessing from Jacob when Jacob is old and blind and dying. And Jacob's, or, um, Isaac says to Esau, go and hunt something and prepare for me a meal, and then I will eat it, and then I will give you that blessing. And Jacob takes this opportunity to deceive his brother again and his father. And this is how this goes while Esau's out hunting. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother, like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? And he answered him, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near to me and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments, and he blessed him. So, in coming face to face with this insecurity of his own personal ambition, again, the first thing Jacob does is turn to deception. Now, I've deliberately tied this idea of... um, the birthright to financial security and this idea of this this blessing from father to son to personal ambition. And in both of these cases, rather than turning to God, he tries to work out his own financial security and his own insecurity of ambition before God on his own. And the Bible speaks to us here because um, we never do that. That was back then, and it doesn't apply to us now. <laughs> Absolutely, we do that. I do that all the time. The Bible speaks to us directly here because we are doing the same thing. We are doing the same thing in our lives, and we might not be cheating a blessing or inheritance out of one of our siblings. We might not be cheating a blessing or inheritance out of one of our siblings, but when fear and anxiety show up in our lives, when we face those and we get incredibly nervous because we're at risk, 
or we are disadvantaged, I think what we can often do is try to work it out ourselves before God. Whatever the situation may be, we, got, we might be like, I got to get out of this hole. I got to do it on my own. Whatever the quickest way out of here is, I got to do it without even thinking about turning to God except maybe afterwards. What do we first turn to? Ourselves or the source of life, our creator? When I first graduated college, there were two things, two goals I set for myself um, right before I moved down here. One, I was going to become, I was going to make a lot of money. That was my goal. Classic. Second was I was going to make a name for myself. I was going to, I wanted financial security and I wanted to make a name for myself. And when I thought about this after studying Jacob so much and reading this, I was like, "Uh uh-oh, I am Jacob. I wanted financial security, and I wanted to make a name for myself. And I tried to fill this God-sized hole in my heart with both of these things. I tried to fill this God-sized heart in my, in my heart, this God-sized hole in my heart with both of these things. And as a result of that, I stopped saying, God, let your will be done in my life. I stopped saying, God, let your will be done when I was trying to seek out these two things by any means necessary. I started saying as a result, God, let my will be done. Let my will be done and accept it. And I didn't even know this was happening. I mean, hindsight's a beautiful thing. In the moment, I didn't know this was happening because I had become so self-absorbed in achieving those two things. I wanted people, I wanted my fa- I wanted to have enough money and I wanted people back in Ohio where I grew up in Tennessee where I went to school to look at me and be like, "He made it. We're stoked for him. I wish I was him." That's what I wanted. And it was so self-absorbed. And in the end, that situation, it left me in despair. Complete despair. But Jacob did that too. He did it with his, amb- his ambition. He did it with his security. He did it with his power, with his wealth, with his wives, with his children, with his finances, so much more. And he did this before and after his conversion too. This isn't just all happened before. After his conversion, he still had trouble um, filling that God-sized hole in his heart with human securities. And so did I, before and after that conversion experience. So the question I often have to ask myself is, is are you filling the God-sized hole in your heart with something else? And What is it? I regularly have to ask myself that. And I want to pose that question to you. What are you filling this God-sized hole in your heart with? Are you filling it with that dynamic personal relationship with God? Or are you trying to find other things that might bring you comfort? Because when we make idols of these things, when we make idols of these things, they become the new basis for our peace, our happiness, and our success. They become the new basis for our peace, happiness, and success. And what I mean by that, when we set up those things as idols or as our God, we cannot be happy unless we achieve them. We cannot be happy unless they are functioning at their fullest potential, unless they are giving us exactly what we want. And when we do that, these things might satisfy us for a short time. But frankly, it's wishful thinking that ends in despair. 
when we set up those things as the basis of our peace, happiness, and success. Because they're too small. They will disappoint us. They're finite. Everything that I have tried to set up in that way has disappointed me at some point. Every job I've had that said, this is going to bring me security, this is going to bring me peace, this is going to bring me happiness, has failed me at some point. Every job, every friendship I've had has failed me at some point. Every degree I've had has failed me at some point or disappointed me at some point. Every friendship, every relationship I've had has disappointed me at some point. Every parent I've had has disappointed me at some point. And their list is a lot longer of the disappointments, by the way. <laughs> but every, every parent, and I'm sure I will have a spouse one day that will disappoint me at some time. I'm sure I will have children that will disappoint me at some time. And I'm sure you're in the same situation. Your spouse may have disappointed you at some time. Your children may have disappointed you. Your job. And when we tie our peace, happiness, and security into those things, we will be disappointed. If I tied into my adventure and my ambitions and all my dreams, and they sat on my shoulders alone, I will be disappointed and I will crumble. When they become the source of our happiness, peace, and success, they will fail. And eventually, they'll disappoint you. And it causes physical and spiritual problems for us when we do this. For Jacob, it caused a host of physical problems. It divided his family. To my understanding, Jacob did not see his mother or father again before they passed away, after he had to flee from his homeland. He had a broken, torn relationship with his brother for years, for decades. He had multiple wives that didn't get along. He had 12 sons that didn't get along, to the point where they even tried to kill each other at some points. He's on the run a lot. And he's plagued with fear and anxiety. And it might not look exactly like this in our lives, but it causes just as many problems for us. Of course, it doesn't look exactly like that. Like I said before, we live in a different culture, time, and tradition than when this was written. But this applies to us in the same way. It causes us the same physical problems. And spiritually and emotionally, we despair. Spiritually and emotionally, we despair because we neglect the one thing that is not infinite. We neglect the one thing that is not infinite. We take the time to put on the back burner the one thing that is big enough, the one God who is infinite and is big enough that we can tie up our hope, our success, our peace, and our happiness in his love for us, and it's free. We neglect that, and that causes us spiritual and emotional despair. It causes us physical problems that hurt us and trouble us and trouble the people around us. The bad decisions Jacob made when he was trying to fill this God-sized hole in his heart impacted the people around him. The decisions we make when we're trying to fill up this God-sized hole in our heart impacts the people around us as well. And it hurts but God's love for us is infinite, and it can sustain those where it won't disappoint us. It's the only thing that will. And the story of Scripture, beginning to end, is God saying to his people, to us, to his children, to his creation, turn to me. Turn to me, and I will satisfy you. Turn to me, and I won't disappoint you. Turn to me, and you can tie up your hope, 
You can tie up your success. You can tie up your happiness in my love for you. In my love for you. And the beautiful thing about this is when we do that, when we order these loves correctly, when we order these loves as God is our first love, everything else that we love follows that and becomes pure. It becomes more beautiful. I love my job way more because I love God more than my job. I love my education more because I love God more than my education. I love God more than I love my family more because I love God more than my family. Um, I imagine marriage is more beautiful when I love God more than my spouse. I imagine parenting children will be better when I love God more than I love my children and love my children's love for me. When we order these loves correctly as God first, everything else follows, it trickles down and makes all those things more beautiful and more pure. And it is wonderful. And by the way, the story of scripture is not, let's be like the characters. I don't want you to hear any of this and, and, and think that I'm saying, let's be like Jacob after his conversion experience. No, I don't want to be like him at all. And I hope you're not receiving that from me here today. Um, because all of them did this too. Everybody, all these characters in the Bible were at times filling up these God-sized holes in their heart with human security. You name a character from the Bible, and I can point it out to you for the most part. Um, we look at David and Bathsheba. A guy tried to satisfy this God-sized hole in his heart by having a relationship with somebody who, who was married. You can see it in Esther's life where at one point in, in the first half of her story, she ties up her, or she fills up that hole in her heart with her own safety and security rather than her devotion and her love for God. You can see it in Jonah's life when he is in, commanded to go preach to the city of Nineveh and save them. He allows his national arrogance to tie him up and he fills his heart up with that pride and that arrogance there. It's all over. Adam and Eve, you know that one? These guys filled up this God-sized hole in their heart by allowing themselves to be convinced that they could become God-like rather than being satisfied and nurtured and taken care of by God. So we don't want to be like them at all. But we want to look at what God has done for them in Scripture. We look at Scripture and we want to say, see what God has done for them because what God has done for them, he has done for us. What God has done for them, he has done for us. For us, and the whole of Scripture is telling us to turn to God because He will satisfy us and He will not disappoint. And He wants us to, and He's inviting us. And that that brings me to my third point here, which is God is our shepherd. God is our shepherd. Jacob lives a wild life before and after his conversion. There is no doubt about that. He's full of successes. He had significant wealth, and he had many sons and many grandsons, which in the ancient Near East were two of the biggest marks of success in a person. But his life is also full of turmoil, marital problems, financial trouble, frustrations. There's a loss of a son. There's famine. He's deceived by others, and he deceives others. His life is full of these things that we would not count as successful, that we would count as great difficulty. But at the end of his life, at the end of his life, when he is passing on that blessing 
to his son Joseph, he says something beautiful. And I'm going to read this from the very end of Jacob's life. It comes from Genesis 48, 15 through 18. This is what he says. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked. And this is the big kicker here. The God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil. Bless these boys. Earlier in his life when he believes Joseph to be dead, when Jacob believes Joseph, his son, to be dead, he says, everything is against me, he cries out, which is the equivalent of saying, God has set everything against me. But now, at the end of his life, blessing his son, he's able to look back on all of this, everything that had happened to him, the good and the bad, and say, all the days of my life, God has been shepherding me. Now, I'm going to read you this quote from Tim Keller. I think we have it on the screen, too. Um, when, I mean, this is, I read this little excerpt and then got turned on to studying Jacob and, and running here. So let me read this to you. This is talking about right after that blessing was made. He says, now as he remembers his suffering, the flight from his home, the deception of Laban, the early death of his wife, Rachel, the loss of Joseph, and more, he has the audacity to say he was being shepherded and kept from all harm in every one of them. He sees God was working behind the scenes for his own good out of love. He sees that God was working for his own good behind the scenes out of love. When I, I moved to Florida here um, three and a half years ago now, which is crazy to think, and I promise you that was probably the most difficult experience of my life so far. I didn't know anybody, and this was way before I even got connected with New Covenant. Um, I had such a difficult time. See, everything that I had tried to fill that God-sized hole in my heart with back in Tennessee, where I went to school, was gone. My university, where I had the identity of being a student, was gone. The jobs I had that I loved there were gone. The place I loved living, no more relationships I had, the friendships I had, it was difficult for me. And on top of that, when I first got here, um, I wasn't able to achieve that dream of making a lot of money um, that I had set up for myself. And I, w I wasn't crazy about what I was doing at the time. So both of those ambitions I had set up for myself, that financial security and that making a name for myself so people would be able to say, man, I wish I was him, I wish I was doing what he was doing, both of them dashed. And because I put so much of my own, my own success, peace, and security in that, I crumbled. I crumbled. I was full of despair. And even when I am sitting here thinking about that experience and thinking about that time, it makes me a little queasy in my stomach. I'm like, that was a difficult time. And I'm sure that was not the most difficult time I'm going to have in my life. I'm sure I have more to look forward to there. But while I was despairing, there was a teacher I worked with at, at the school, and I opened up to her about how I was feeling, and she challenged me. I think she saw this self-absorbed situation I was in worrying so much about myself and how I was feeling. She said two things to me, gave me so much powerful wisdom. She said, what is God teaching you right now? 
first question she asked me. And then she said, how are you serving him where you are? And then she like gestured to all of our middle school students around us. And things got better after that. Things got better to the point where five months ago, where I, I knew it was time to leave Florida, I did not want to go, and it was incredibly difficult. And thinking about that makes me queasy still, that difficult time. But I know that God was shepherding me. He was shepherding Jacob, and he's shepherding you all the days of your life. And it doesn't matter your age, your place in life, where you're from, what you do. He is shepherding you and has been shepherding you and will continue to shepherd you. So this is what the gospel changed in me in looking at this and thinking about this. This is what the gospel changed in me. Now I live my life going forward knowing that I am being shepherded. I live my life going forward, facing the future, taking my next steps, whatever it may be, knowing that I am being shepherded. And that is very different from three years ago in my life. And what this does for us is it brings us hope. It brings us a confident peace in who God is. It heals our insecurities, and it gives us a purposeful life. And instead of saying, let my will be done, as we're trying to fill those God-sized holes with our insecurities, we can say and mean, God, let your will be done. Our life with Christ begins when we move from a nominal belief or no belief to a unique, dynamic relationship with God. And despite our relationship with God, and, and despite our relationship with God is not going to be perfect because we will try to fill that God-sized hole in our heart. He loves us still. C.S. Lewis is a favorite author of mine, and he says this. The Christian does not think God will love us because we are good, but that God will make us good because he loves us. Through all the physical and spiritual and emotional problems we are causing ourselves, God is shepherding us. God is shepherding you. And when God looks at you, he sees a treasure. And to the degree we live in consciousness, to the degree we live in consciousness of that shepherding, self-sacrificing love for us, we are free from the shame of our past and given every hope for a future. Let's pray. God, thank you for being who you are. Thank you that your love is so much greater, so much stronger, so much more powerful, so much more sufficient than we could ever deserve. And I pray that through all of our lives, you would remind us that you're shepherding us that you would remind us that you're guiding us, that you would remind us that you were there before, you're here now, and you will be here after, and that we can put our faith entirely and wholly in you. We love you, God, and we pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Cody. Look, this is the, the reality for us that God is our shepherd. And if that is true and that is the case, then the question for us is, are we following? 
Are we following him? If he leads us, are we following? Are we submitting to his will for our lives? Are you looking to him for your happiness, security, and peace? Those things that Cody mentioned over and over. If not, then today I want to call you to a place of following Christ. I want to call you to a place of, of pushing aside those other things that you're tempted to put your hope in, to follow, to, to find that security, that hope, that peace in these other things, whatever it is, and submit your life to the one who is the best shepherd, the only shepherd. So let's stand together, guys. Let's, let's respond to the Lord in faith, in song. And if you today would say, I want to follow Jesus as, as Lord, if you would say today, I want, to, I want to give my life to him, then pray this prayer with me. And then let, let us know so we can walk this out with you. We can help you in the next steps of your life. God, we give our life to you. And for those in here, God, who don't know you and who would say, today is, I, I want to follow you. And really for all of us to refresh and renew our, our commitment to you, we say, God, would you save me? I am a sinner. You are the only one that is great enough to do this. And I give my life to you. Forgive me of my sin. Put that new life in me where I'm not trusting in myself any longer, but trusting you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's sing, church.